Good afternoon. Today's New Testament scripture reading is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragements from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Please bow your heads and pray with me. God, please reveal yourself to us through your words this morning. Please teach us and guide us and help us to yeah, know you deeper, love you more, and to understand and know you and your love more as well, God. In your name, Jesus, amen. So today, I want to talk about unity. The unity, specifically the unity that God can bring to the church, his people, the the Christian community that all of us are a part of. In the modern Protestant church, unity as a body is not one of our strong suits. It's not something we're really known for, to say the least. When Protestantism was more new in Europe, so several hundred years ago, there were circumstances that helped with unifying a church. First of all, you didn't have a car or a train to go to a different town. Your town would just have one church that you would go to, and so you were kind of stuck with the church that you got. Whether you liked it or not, you were stuck with those Christians in your town, in your community. Now, I think this situation had some disadvantages, of course, but I believe there was one strong, distinct advantage to this. Christians were forced to work on unity. Everyone would have had to keep their eyes up on God, on big picture matters, rather than getting distracted by smaller details that may bother them. You would have to bear with your fellow Christians because you literally live next door to them and there was nowhere else you could go. You had no options and so this forced you and your community to work on unity and to really cherish it and value it as a community. When Christians started moving um, from Europe, to the Americas is really when the floodgates of disunity and hundreds of different Protestant denominations opened up. 
Today, here in Zurich and in many places in the West, we have more, a more similar opportunity as those who move to America. Right Here in Zurich, we have dozens of different churches we can choose from, many with English and with German. We have a choice. We choose our church based on music preference, age, if there's lots of singles that you can try and date, um, if the service is flashy or more traditional. We'll visit several churches before deciding on one of them. We can drive or take the train to different towns. If there's a problem or we don't like the other Christians in our community, we do have the choice to avoid confrontation and just leave and, and move to a new group of people. Now, I'm saying all of this because I think there's an important fact in it. These earlier Protestant congregations who were forced to work on unity had to focus on truly important things in life and in being a Christian. They had to bear with one another and they had to keep their eyes on God during difficult situations and difficult times. And so we all have a choice today as Christians, right? If we, if we want, we can leave or we can choose to stay here in Zurich. And so I'm going to put this as a dichotomy, two choices we have to make. When there's difficulty, we can keep our eyes up on God, focused on the big picture, focused on eternity, focused on Christ. Or we can do the opposite of that, and we can keep our eyes down on the ground. We can look at the dirty floor, look at the difficult circumstances around us and the difficult people in our community, and not look to God, but focus on ourselves. So when conflict arises, we have these two choices. Now, my purpose this um, afternoon is not to talk about why unity is important. I think all of us know it's important as the body of Christ to seek unity and I think we all know that just getting up and ditching our church community is not necessarily a good thing. But that's a topic for a different time. Today, I just want to talk about the insights that Paul gives us here in his letter to the Philippians on how to be united, how to have that unity with other Christians. This is what we'll focus on. Now, I'm going to read Philippians 2, verses 1 through 2, one more time. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now I believe that if we are followers of God, and if we're keeping our eyes up, focused on him, I believe we will have these things that Paul lays out for us in these verses. I believe we will have encouragement from being united with Christ, right? How can we not if our eyes are on God? We will take comfort from his amazing love for us. We will share in the Spirit. If our eyes are on God, we won't be able to help but being more tender and more compassionate to everyone around us. I think those will be the natural consequences of, of keeping our eyes focused on God. And so, if we have these things, Paul says, then be united. He says, be like-minded, have the same love, 
be one in spirit and one in mind. And this list of things God gives us allows us and strengthens us to be united as brothers and sisters. Right? He will give us the compassion, the tender hearts, the understanding towards each other. He will give us the comfort needed to work through the things with each other. God offers us what we need to succeed in unity. It turns out that the solution to unity, like pretty much everything in life, is to keep your eyes on God and to rely on him rather than looking to ourselves, to our own strength. But, there's always a but, we are humans and things are never really that easy for us. Often our eyes are not up on God, but they're down on the floor. We aren't looking to God, we're looking at our own shoes. We're dwelling on our difficult circumstances. We're feeling bad for ourselves, we're judging our brothers and sisters. And when we're looking down, we're missing out on what God is offering us right here in these verses. And if we don't have these encouragements, these comforts from God, we will not have what we need to be united as a community. So imagine God with his arm outstretched to you and his hand open to you. And he's trying to give you these things, the encouragement, the love, the tenderness, the care. And he's looking at you and he's offering you himself. He's offering these things freely and he's keeping his hand there and he's waiting. But I'm busy, we're busy, we're busy looking at the ground, noticing all the dirt, all the dead little bugs, our untied shoes. We do this all the time. I do this all the time. Thankfully, our God is patient. He's a very patient God. And he's offering his love and his care, and his hand is steady, right? It doesn't get tired. He's holding it out, and he doesn't take it back from us. He doesn't retract it from us. If you're a Christian and you feel like you've been keeping your head down, ignoring the goodness that God has been offering you, look up and meet his eyes. I encourage you. Refocus your heart and your mind on him. Reach out and grab his hand that's, that's outreached to you, waiting for you. And if you don't know Jesus or maybe you're unsure about him, you're not sure if he's real, you're not sure if, if he matters that much, I encourage you, and I promise you, his hand is outstretched to you as well. His arm is outstretched, his hand is outstretched. And he's there loving you, caring about you as his child, and desiring for you to take his hand and to know him as your father. And if you want to know more about what that means and about God's love, then I encourage you, talk to the person next to you after the service, or talk to me. Talk to someone about it, because it's very important. Now, I want to be clear before we move on. Looking up to God and relying on him does not mean ignoring the dirt that's down on the floor. It doesn't mean ignoring the problems and the things wrong with our circumstances. It doesn't mean ignoring the problems with the people around us. God does not bring unity among us by helping us to ignore the problems. He doesn't call us to have a fake unity where we pretend we're happy and we pretend that everything is fine. 
One year when I was in college, you know it's a bad story when it starts with, when I was in college, never is it a, never is it a good thing, including this story. My last year of college, my fourth year, I lived in an old, broken-down house with nine other guys. So this house was terrible. It was in a slum. It was breaking. Everything was broken. It creaked when you walked anywhere. In the winter, the heat didn't really work, and so it probably stayed around five degrees Celsius all winter. Like, I would go to bed and wake up in the morning, like, slightly numb. Yeah. I do not recommend living in a house like this if you can help it. But it was also extremely dirty. There was dust everywhere. There was crumbs. We hardly ever cleaned. Dishes everywhere. Sometimes, this is a true story, you would open the microwave or the oven, and there would just be an old, a week-old piece of lasagna in there someone had just forgotten about. Yeah, terrible place to live. But that also, that dirtiness, that, that messiness of the house was also a metaphor for the relationships in the house. The relationships were not clean. People in the house did not get along with each other. There was several big personalities in the house, and there was a big clash of these personalities. People would argue. Things would be really tense in between us sometimes. And looking back to that time, we really weren't looking to God to help us in our relational problems. We all had our eyes on ourselves and looked at our own problems, and we would get mad at each other about those things. But we didn't pray together. Um, We didn't ask God for the strength to unite us. We didn't have the attitude of putting each other above ourselves and each other's problems above our own problems. Sometimes we would ignore the issues, and they would fester until they exploded. Left to our own devices, we completely failed in being a loving community. And all of us there were Christians, but we totally failed at this. Now, if I continue this metaphor, when we look to God for help in unity, that encouragement, comfort, love, spirit, tenderness, compassion that God gives us, that Paul spoke of, is in a way the equivalent of a broom, a broom that we sweep with. Have you ever tried to clean dirt and dust off the floor without a broom? For some reason, I I have. I don't know why I have, but I definitely have. And you can kind of pick up slightly bigger crumbs. You can brush the dirt around a little bit with your hands. But in the end, the floor is basically as dirty as as it was when you started. There's there's not much difference. Often, growing up, um, confession time, whenever it was my turn to clean the kitchen floor, often I would kind of just scoop everything under the refrigerator pretending that, right, the dust didn't exist, the crumbs don't exist. And obviously this did not fix the problem. It just hid the problem until eventually the dust came back out of the refrigerator. So we are helpless to work through our issues that separate us with God. And without God, using this metaphor, we are broomless, right? We can't truly clean the floor. We can't truly clean up the mess of our relationships. Like in that house I lived in, we didn't look to God for help, but just tried to ignore the problems or work through them on our own. We tried to clean the dust with our hands with no success. But when we look up 
and meet God's eyes, we realize that he's just holding a broom out to us. And with that broom, we can clean the dust, the dirt, and it's much, much easier. And with that broom, the floor can actually become truly clean. And that broom is the encouragement, tenderness, compassion, and comfort that we need to love others and to be united with others. Only through God can we truly work through what we need to. Only through God can we have true unity. And looking back on that year, I really wish that we could have done this. I think it would have been a much different year, a much more peaceful and loving year of life that, yeah, we instead, we squandered that opportunity to have that peace and that love um, in that community I lived in. Now, Paul, Paul is a model for us of keeping our eyes up on God and not looking at the floor. This letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he writes it from prison, so either an actual prison cell or from house arrest, and he is awaiting trial, and execution is one of the possible punishments for what he's been doing. And so think about that. He's, he may be awaiting his own death while writing this letter. And this letter is basically an encouragement letter to the church in Philippi. Not once does he complain about his situation in the entire letter. Earlier in the passage, he talks about how other Christians are now more bold to share their faith, and, and he rejoices in that. He talks about how the whole prison guard now knows that he's in prison for Christ, and they've learned about Christ because of it. He even talks about how some other preachers are purposely trying to stir up trouble for him, but he says he doesn't even care because the news of Jesus is being preached around the world. Paul is not looking down at at what he could complain about. He is looking up at God and focusing on what God is doing in the world. And he follows his statements on unity from verses 1 and 2 with this in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And here Paul gives us two choices of how to act. You have selfish and arrogance, which will always push us away from unity, right? How can we love those around us when we're caught up in our own desires, our own self-righteousness, our own glory, right? The, that is the opposite of, of unity. You cannot have unity when you are selfish and arrogant. It's the, the pure opposite of it. But Paul calls us to something different. He calls us to have the mindset of Christ, to value others above ourselves, to value others' interests above our own, to see others as more important than ourselves, Verses 5 through 8 say, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus clearly valued our lives, our interests, above his own. 
The Bible is the story of our loving God. In the Old Testament, God is constantly having mercy and grace for his people, as he is today as well. Contrary to what we sometimes think, the Jewish people were generally not a monotheistic people. When you look at archaeological digs of ancient Jewish sites, very often they contain idols of other gods. In the Old Testament, it's the story of God's people constantly stumbling, constantly worshiping idols and other gods and turning away from God, and God constantly forgiving them and bringing them back to him. God continually had grace and mercy for his people. And, of course, as we know, this culminated in the person of Jesus. Jesus humbling himself to that of a servant to ultimately save his people. And, of course, nothing has changed with us. Each one of us is sinful. Each one of us has idols. Each one of us acts selfishly. And so how can we judge one another? The only one who can judge, God chose to offer everyone grace and mercy if they desire it. God chose to humble himself and serve us. And this is the mindset that we should strive for, to be a servant of those around us, to consider those around us better than ourselves. This is the mindset that God gives us when we look up to him. This is the mindset that further allows us to be united as a body of Christians. Now, I want to end today with looking again at our Old Testament passage. It's the story of Joseph reconciling with his brothers and his family in Genesis. Now, just a quick recap. Joseph was completely betrayed by his brothers. At first, they wanted to kill him. And then they said, well, killing him, we don't really get anything. Let's instead sell him so we can get money at least. And so they put him in a pit, sold him into slavery for their own gain. They acted selfishly and arrogantly, clearly. They were jealous that Jacob, their father, loved Joseph so much more than them. They were jealous that God had given Joseph dreams. And so in their selfishness, they sell Joseph, they get rid of him. And their actions that came out of what Paul calls ambition, selfish ambition and vain conceit clearly brought pain and disunity to their family. But God is good, and he works powerfully, and he brings Joseph to the position of highest power in Egypt, only under Pharaoh, but that only in name. And God uses Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dream about an upcoming famine, and he uses Joseph to make a plan to save the grain for the famine. And ultimately, it saves thousands of people's lives in Egypt and in the surrounding areas. Now, when Joseph's brothers come to Egypt and are seeking grain so that they don't starve to death, Joseph has a choice to make. Imagine being in his shoes. Your brothers, who sold you into slavery, are now coming to you, for help. They basically handed you a death sentence. They basically tried to kill you. And now you're in control. Now you have the power over them. What are you going to do? You're going to send them back with no grain? Are you going to put them in prison 
for obviously illegally selling you? Are you going to make them gr grumble on the ground and beg you for forgiveness until you feel like they truly are sorry for what they've done? Joseph's response is astounding. In Genesis 45, verses 4 through 8, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph's eyes are not on the floor. He's not looking at the dirt on the ground or his problems. He's not looking at the hatred his brothers had for him. They may, the hatred they may still have for him, right? He's not looking at the harm they caused him. His eyes are up on God. He's looking at God, and he's seeing how God has worked powerfully in this. He sees how God has loved him. God has given him the tools Paul laid out to bring unity, that encouragement, comfort, compassion, tenderness. God's given him the strength to consider his brothers and their interests, honestly, better than his own. And in the next verses, as we all know, Joseph gives the best lands of Egypt to his brothers and their families. Joseph turns around and serves his family. With eyes looking up to God, God brings Joseph what he needs to bring unity to his family. Radical love and radical forgiveness bring unity. Our God brings unity. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Please pray with me. Lord, please, please let us search our hearts today and, and search to see if, if we're truly looking at you and up to you or if we're looking to ourselves for strength, God. Please let us look to you for the strength, the compassion, the love, the tenderness, that we need to love our brothers and sisters and in this sphere here at church and in our spheres at work and our spheres in our friendships and in our own families. Let us look to you for that, God, and, and please be faithful in giving us what we need, God. In your name, Jesus, amen.